The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 10, The Monthly Mash with Andrew Roberts. Welcome to The Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. We have a return guest, Andrew Roberts. If you missed his first episode, which was episode three, I highly suggest you go ahead and listen to that. Um, But tonight, this might be a new kind of maybe monthly kind of episode that we're doing, Um, but we're just going to talk kind of current events in golf and just kind of other things that are going on. Um, But um, we'll see how those go. And But tonight... We'll just first welcome Andrew. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, so I think the the first thing that we're going to chat about, um, which has been on everyone's uh, hot plate for the past like three weeks, is Bryson DeChambeau's return to golf, how big he how big he is, and his success that he's been having, uh, quote unquote success. Last week he won uh, the Rocket Mortgage uh, tournament. But before that, a lot of people were saying that it wasn't so good because he didn't win, um, but he's still blasting the ball, you know, 340, 350 yards on average. Um, but just what's kind of your take on Bryson's bulk, his nutrition, everything, everything revolving Bryson? Well, so first off, this has been an interesting experiment because, you know, within the bubble of the PGA Tour, they've just been playing with themselves and the caddies. Obviously, you've seen some places like Hilton Head and even the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit and uh, Travelers. The only way fans can get a glimpse of them is like houses across uh, the way. So he's basically, his experiment has been unfolding with the players. Uh, And one thing that I saw this week with Justin Thomas, they asked him, about Bryson at the Workday Charity Open, which is going on right now at the Memorial St. Columbus, as he said, first I was skeptical of what Bryson was doing. And then I saw what he was doing and he won last week. And my thought was, you know what, dude, just shut up and play. So uh, the tour pros are, are, are taking interest in it. I mean, even Rory said he was amazed at the uh, speed and the ability to create ball speed and club head speed and do things. I mean, Bryson last week had the perfect storm. He had a course that was wide open for the most part, even though it's a Donald Ross design. Um, And, you know, a lot of people should be famous with Donald Ross. You know, Pinehurst, for example, is a great example of a Donald Ross course. Um, But he said, uh, I, I thought this quote was great at Hilton Head. He couldn't unleash the Kraken. So he's basically talking about he's got a couple swings. So one is when he goes for it, um, he's up in the Cameron Champ stratosphere of 190-plus ball speed. I mean, there were a couple, I think, that he hit uh, last week that were 194, 195. I mean, he did that at Colonial for the opening tournament too. Um, And then he's got his kind of his laid-back swing, and he's still hitting it in the mid-180s, which is a pretty good ball speed for high-level players. So he went from about my size last year, 195. He's a little bit taller than me, 6'2", 
to 62240 in the span of a year. Okay. Now, golf.com showed what he's eating. So for breakfast, he's eating five eggs, um, like five strips of bacon, two of the organic protein shakes. And then for lunch, he's having a couple go macro bars, which I'm not very familiar with. So I have no idea. I'm not a nutritionist, so I'm not going to pretend. Uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, like two to three protein shakes. Then when he's doing practice or he's on the course, uh, one to two more protein shakes, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then for dinner, he's eating a steak, potatoes, and uh, like two to three protein shakes. So he's drinking 78 protein shakes a day and taking in a lot of calories. Um, and he's obviously working out uh, too. He works with a guy out of Denver. I can't remember exactly if you go to his Instagram. He posted about it last week in Detroit. So um, he's been working out. He's been eating a lot. And it seemed to pay off because his club hit speed, I think, last year was in, I think if he got to a top number, he could get to 120. But he was in the mid-110s. Now he's easily getting over 120. I mean, he's averaging probably 123, 124. Um, and he's even getting it up to 130, 131. He has jokingly said that he would like to get up into the long driver numbers. So we're talking about like the Kyle Berkshires and the Maurice Allens, the 140 pluses, you know, and the over 200 ball speed is kind of his goal. So he's pretty much increased his club head speed by about 10 to 15 miles an hour. And he's increased his ball speed last year. He was in probably about the one seventies. Um, to now over the 190s. So he's increased it by 20 miles an hour. So in theory, has it worked? Absolutely. But does every course fit Bryson? No. And that's why um, he had the perfect storm last week winging at the Rocket Mortgage. But he has had, since the tour restart, he has had a top 10 in every event. So I'm pretty sure it's working. And the thing I would like to point out is it works for him. It's not going to work for everybody. So don't go out, buy a bunch of protein shakes, start drinking it, start working out. Um, because he is a high-level PGA Tour player that has a personal trainer, a swing coach, um, a strength and conditioning coach, personal, you know, stuff like that. Um, he's got a lot of tools at his disposal. Now, you know, does, is uh, gaining mass something that every golfer should do? Probably not. But, I mean, him and, and Brooks Kepka, you know, are both pretty good-sized uh, guys. I mean, what was it? I think it was Faldo or Chambly said it was like a linebacker swinging golf club with DeChambeau. And you could say the same thing about Kepka. Um, but, obviously, the Bryson experiment is working for him. Will it work for everybody? No. But, obviously, it's working for him, and it's been fun to watch. And, obviously, who doesn't love to see a guy pound a golf ball 350 yards? I mean – he averaged 350.6 last week, which is a PGA Tour shot link record. The previous record was Tiger Woods, I believe, in a British Open. I can't remember which one. He averaged, I think, 342. Um, and we know the British Open has firm, fast fairways. So um, he's doing it on a design in Detroit. It was somewhat soft. It wasn't completely soft, but um, what he did last week was pretty impressive. That was going to be my one thing that I was going to ask is, you know, one, do you think people should kind of imitate this now that they've seen his success? But I'll tell you one person who or people who don't like what he's doing is the USGA, which which they recently came out, you know, but what are you going to do? Um, 
but yeah, I would say that his, I think what's the most interesting thing is that he's taking a very systematic approach, um, which is what you have to do when you want to improve just about anything. Um, if you take the data and, you know, you take your swing speed and um, you take kind of your strength numbers, your power numbers, and then you can go ahead and work up from there. And from that, you can kind of create your plan of what you want to do to progress. And then um, basically, if you can continue to progress and you know where you're at from there, you can just continue to make systematic gains, basically. And like you said, he has a ton of resources available to him and time that a lot of, you know, everyday amateurs and just you know, weekend golfers don't have available to them. Um, and I think the other big thing that people get confused is like he put on a lot of mass and everyone keeps bringing up this force equals mass times acceleration equation and whatnot. But I saw a post today, I forget who it's from now on Instagram. It's, it's old, but they were talking about how everyone's popularized force equals mass times acceleration with in relation to Bryson and hitting it further and that's just an easy way for people to understand, but there's a lot of other things happening in terms of angular velocity and a lot of other physics stuff that I was reading that was kind of, I somewhat understood, but I'm sure most people don't understand it. It's a lot easier for most people to understand what force, uh, force equals mass times acceleration. Yeah. And, um, USGA, the thing they should be concerned about is us open course setups because the last few years, um, the U.S. Open course setups have not been very good, and the players have been complaining about that. So if I'm the USGA, I would be more concerned with that. Secondly, um, Bryson does things a lot differently. He's got a one-plane swing, okay? He has jumbo max grips on his golf clubs, which, I mean, are huge, so it takes away his wrist action, okay? If you're a two-plane swinger, you need your wrist if you're a one-plane swinger, you don't need to use your wrists that much. Third, he's got some of the stiffest shafts on tour. He's got graphite in all of his shafts. He's the first player on the PGA Tour in the modern era to use all graphite shafts. And they're L.A. Lab, um, L.A. Golf, uh, and they're specifically built for him. And the shafts he's got in his irons and his wedges are called Texas Rebar because they're so stiff from tip to grip that it's for him. He's also using a five and a half degree driver. He's using a 12 degree. Um, I don't know if he calls it his driving three wood and then a 15 degree regular three wood. So his setup is he's very unorthodox. He's got the wrist lock putting stroke with the sick putter. Um, so he's got a lot of things that he does very differently. Now, can people benefit from some of these things? Absolutely. But don't, it, just like anything, don't dive fully into it. Maybe dabble with bits and pieces of it. You know, dabble with some of the strength training he's doing. Dabble with some of the, maybe some of the eating habits he's doing. Dabble with some of the um, equipment things. But if you go go full Bryson, I mean, he's been doing this for years. I mean, he's been doing the one-length irons from his, you know, his top of his long irons to his wedges, I think, since high school, like his junior year of high school. So, um, yeah, that's a long, that's a long time. We're talking about 10, probably 15 years. So, um, I wouldn't jump into it right away. 
Yeah. And I would say, you know, that speaks to just in general, like anyone should probably go get fitted for clubs or a ball, um, get assessed for your body, you know, go see a golf pro, get your swing fixed, right? Those are all things that he has done, even though they're unorthodox, but have worked for him and, and are finally paying, it's finally paying off. And like you said, he's been the top 10 the past three weeks. He won last week and I calculated, mm-hmm. um, including the week that he didn't win, how much money he won, which was a little over, I think three quarters of a million. Um, so again, anyone can hate the first three weeks when he didn't win. Um, but it's, he's doing something right and it's working for him. Right. So it's an individual specific approach. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing is it's work. It's working for him. Okay. And, and, he, he, you know, go for it. He's called the mad scientist for a reason. He's got a bachelor's in physics from SMU, which most people on the PGA tour, they just took college classes just to say they could get a degree and they were focused on their golf career. You know, obviously not everybody who plays college golf is going to play pro golf. You know, I mean, not everybody makes the PGA tour. Not everybody makes the corn fairy tour. Um, you know, but he, he's doing things that work for him. And, you know, it's for a lot of people, it is a head scratcher because this is the modern era. And this is kind of what we talked about in the last episode that you and I had is golf is becoming a game where you need some fitness and you need some strength and things like that. Um, and if you don't have it, there are very, very few players that look like the Tim Herons and the John Daly's or, or stuff like that nowadays. And they look more like the DJs and the, now the Brysons and the Brooks and the Rory's and the Justin Thomas's and the Jordan Spieth. So, you know, those things, I mean, really the thing is, is if you don't have good fitness level, um, your golf game may not be as good as it could be. And that's kind of what Bryson's doing is he's fully investing in this and it has seemed to pay off for him over the past four weeks. Yeah. I think if, if you, People, especially pro players or anyone who wants to be a pro player, aren't getting onto the fitness trainer, at least working on it a little bit to, you know, compete with these guys or they're going to fall short. And anyone who's not doing it, eventually you're probably not going to make those mini tours, the Corn Ferry Tour, and then eventually the PGA Tour. If you're not doing these things, it's going to be, it's going to become the norm. It's, it's progressing there. Still just waiting for a lot of uh, older heads to kind of change their tune to certain things, but it's happening. Well, I mean, it's like any sport. You've got shock jocks. You've got people who are analysts. You've got the Brandel Chamblees, the Nick Faldos, you know, guys who did play in the PGA tour. And some of them do play on like the champions tour and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. They're, I mean, they're just like, Oh, I can't believe he, you know, I mean, I remember when Brandel Chamblee was really critical of Rory McIlroy. I think it was 2016, 2017 about, you know, him squatting like 225. I'm like, okay, Brandel. first off, one is you're paid for that take. Two, that's a hot take. Three, okay, I think you're wrong, but he doesn't care. I mean, he has been a target for Brooks Kepka for a long time. Brooks Kepka does not like Brandel Chambly. And one of the best moments is when Brooks destroyed the PGA Championship in the first round, shot of 63. And I, when it came, one of the best comments from Brandel Chambly was like, he was giving me the middle finger for four and a half hours. And it's like, well, duh. I mean, this course, yeah, it's 74, 7,500 yards. 
and Brooks was taking lines that not very many people can do. One, because he's got great club head speed. Two, he's got a great swing. Three, he's strong. He's mobile. He can he can create that on a whim's notice. And so some of these other guys, you know, nothing against the Francesco Molinari's or, or some of those other players, you know, the Ches Reeves, but I mean, they, they were taking a completely different line. I mean, um, one of the holes that stuck out to me, I think it was like number 12 or 13, where it was a 502 yard par five. And Brooks was playing the first couple of days with Tiger and with Francesco. And obviously Tiger's not short by the imagination. I mean, he could take it over the right corner of the bunker. I mean, Francesco couldn't even take it over that bunker. Brooks was like, what bunker is that? Was taking over it every single day. So that's what power and, and length can, can get for you um, with the fitness and the, the strength and, and taking care of your body realm. Um, that, like you said, some of the old heads are like, well, I don't know. You know, you're seeing a lot of power players. You're going to see a lot more guys hit it 295, 300 or more then you're going to see shorter guys nowadays. So, because, I mean, the golf course thing is they lengthen it. And guess what? Favors the long hitters. Um, you, you might want to make it tighter. You might want to make the rough higher, but some golf course setups, they still just want to make it longer. So, Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens um, if everyone continues to increase their distance, if uh, what the courses are going to do to make it more challenging. And then obviously um growing up the rough like you said making it more valuable to be accurate hit the fairway um i think changing the greens too would be not that they're probably easy but make them even harder to to hit or keep your ball up there just something to do it or make them even more protected um but yeah it'll be interesting to see how it changes as the future goes on yeah it's going to be interesting to watch the uh three major championships this year you know the the PGA TPC Harding Park in uh, San Francisco, which the last time it was used for a major tournament was the Cadillac match play, I believe, back in uh, like 2016, 2015. Um, Wingfoot, which is an old, I think it's an A.W. Tillinghast design, um, or, or one of the high-level architects, I can't remember, that has interesting green shapes. I mean, they're, they're like squares. They almost look like tabletops. And they've got a bunch of different ridges and things like that. That's going to be interesting. And obviously the Masters in Augusta, I mean, they changed uh, some of the holes with tee boxes, but a lot of their changes have been very much green related um, because there's a lot of undulations and slopes there. So all three of those are going to be very interesting. They're going to play very different. I mean, TPC Harding Park is going to play a little bit similar to Pebble Beach last year uh, along the ocean in San Francisco. Um, Wing Foot. You know, it's kind of going to be like what you're in now in Maine in that area. A lot of trees, um, heavy, thick, rough, you know, um, got to hit the fairways, uh, undulating greens, deep bunkers. And then the Masters, we know, is the Masters um, with the setup in a way. They don't have to change a lot because it's, I mean, players will shoot under par, but it's still going to be tough on a lot of holes, too. Right. Um, Well, with that being said, we also... I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. We're still obviously dealing with the COVID pandemic. PJ Tour has been back, but we've had a few players and their caddies test positive. A few players have dropped out of certain tournaments um, because they were either positive or they also just don't want to put it put themselves at risk um, being exposed potentially. 
there was a report that came out. Um, I know you're a big proponent of the whoop strap as you use it um, pretty much daily that I think it said that Nick Watney, that it kind of detected that he may have had coronavirus before he was tested positive for it. Just kind of curious to see kind of what your thoughts are on that because I have my own. Well, first off, I'm just going to let you know I'm biased and I, I love Whoop. Um, Will Ahmed has done several podcasts and Whoop has their own podcast, um, which they've had Roy McElroy, Justin Thomas, and recently they did have Nick Watney. So the way they were able to detect it is he had a two um, breath increase. So one of the things with uh, COVID has been the shortness of breath thing um, and, and making it difficult to breathe. So basically, Nick Watney woke up one morning. He looked at the um, – because Whoop has an app, and you can go to a data panel, um, and it showed there's a gray bar that runs across horizontally uh, that tells you what your respiratory rate is, and his was above that realm. So he decided, well, I, you know, I have to get tested for it. Let me go get tested for it. The PJ Tour tank got tested, tested positive, uh, quarantined in South Carolina for a little bit. And he said that was, you know, obviously he felt bad and everybody felt bad for him. I mean, Sergio Garcia said he felt bad. You know, the guys you're playing with felt bad, things like that. Um, so maybe that was a early detection thing. So that was good with the whoop. And then that caused the PGA tour to purchase, I believe they said like a million or, or thousands of, Whoop bands for the PGA Tour players and caddies, the Corn Fair Tour players and caddies, and the Champions Tour players and caddies. They were not forcing them to use it, but if they wanted to, um, they could use it. And the first player on tour to use it is Scott Stallings, and he has talked adamantly about loving it. And then that led players such as Roy McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, all these guys to use the Whoop strap. So, is the whoop strap 100% accurate? Absolutely not. But could it help with early detection? Possibly with these things, because every morning I check my whoop and it asks me on the cues, you know, did you use a screening device last night? Were you um, reading in bed? You know, stuff like that. You can have the prompts. And then at the end, you, you check your status on certain things, like are you single, married, um, you know, some other things. And then it has a thing for COVID, yes or no. Um, so obviously a lot of people have checked no, but whoop, not just with the PGA Tour, with, but with people have used it. They've had some people that may have had early detections of COVID. So I think that's a, a big thing. Now, not talking about the whoop and talking about COVID, obviously we've had players like uh, Dennis McCartney, uh, Brooks Kepka's caddy, Ricky Elliott, Tested positive. Graham McDowell's caddy tested positive. But we had the interesting saga of uh, Cameron Champ. Cameron Champ did test positive at the Travelers Championship. And I don't know if he quarantined or was sent home early. Then he took three subsequent tests uh, in the following couple of days, and they were all negative. So more than likely, he had what was called a false positive. And basically what that means is the test read that he had COVID-19, but um, that test created a false positive because the other three tests 
were negative. So he was allowed to play in the Rocket Mortgage last week, and I believe he's playing in the Workday Charity Open and has not tested positive since then. So some of those COVID tests are also not accurate, um, and the PGA Tour has acknowledged that, but they put together parameters and protocols before starting at the Colonial, and obviously at the Colonial they did not have anybody test positive, which was a great sign. And then, um, obviously, the first positive test was Nick Watney uh, at the RBC Heritage uh, at Hilton Head. But he went on the Whoop podcast and talked about that a lot. So if people want to hear kind of the ins and outs of that, go listen to the Whoop podcast with uh, Nick Watney and the CEO of Whoop, Will Ahmed, who uh, runs that uh, podcast. But I'm a big proponent of Whoop. It might be good for early detection. Is it 100% accurate? Not really. Um, and some of these tests that they have done, whether it's regular people or on the PGA Tour, sometimes they've created false positives. Um, just like in the case of Cameron Champ, but fortunately, um, he was negative. He was allowed to play last week at the Rocket Mortgage, and he's been allowed to play this week at the Workday Charity Open. So um, that's a good sign. Yeah, I think the whoop strap is, again, I don't have any personal experience with it, but um, from all the people that I do know that use it, and just obviously the overwhelming support from a lot of professional athletes, not even golfers, but a lot of people love it. Um, I think the big thing to know, I think, is that Nick Watney was using the whoop strap for at least a year or a couple of years. So he had a lot of data stored mm -hmm. on his whoop strap. So he, you know, I think the more that someone wears it and has um, more data put into the system, probably is a little bit better at detecting maybe some of those weird things like COVID or just another cold or sickness, whatever it may be, just because you have more data points to go off of versus, you know, some, someone that they just gave it to two weeks ago and their respiratory rate increased by whatever, two breaths a minute might be not the greatest data to go off of to kind of diagnose COVID, but you are exactly right. I mean, it, is it, is it a good way to rule it in? Probably not, but it's definitely something else that could be helpful potentially. And then, like you said too, the COVID tests are not a hundred percent accurate. So there are those false positives. And even um, I think with their new, with PGA tours, new uh, policy with these guys that have tested positive, if they've, I, I was reading up on it, if they tested positive and if they've had 10 days with showing no symptoms, they're allowed to come back and play even if they test positive again uh, with a, a swab test, basically, which kind of raised some eyebrows, I think. But um, like you said, I mean, you could test positive for months. We, have, we still have no idea how long you may be able to test positive for. But if you haven't shown symptoms for they're going off of 10 days, they, they're assuming that you're, you're probably not contagious. Well, and, and that's the hard thing about this, um, and that's why cases continue to increase in the U.S., because a lot of these individuals um, are a, could be asymptomatic, um, and that's what the, the uh, emergency room doctors um, and high-level individuals, such as Dr. Fauci, who runs the National uh, Allergy and Infectious Diseases um, Institute, and uh, you know, Dr. Carl Bergstrom, who's a PhD in evolutionary biology and epidemiologist, um, are very much on top of this. Um, and the concern is obviously they've talked about a second wave. And obviously, the second wave 
um, would be an, an increase in cases, which we are seeing around the U.S. Um, and a lot of those individuals are asymptomatic. So, um, but yeah, with the with the PGA Tour's policy, I mean, that's you know Jay Monahan, who's the commissioner of the PGA Tour, has has said he's tried to weigh out all variables. So that's, for example, why, you know, they're testing all personnel. So they're testing players, they're testing caddies, um, they're testing, you know, swing coaches, anybody that is around individuals, and they're still not having fans because they were supposed to have fans last week at the Memorial, but they reversed the decision um, and they're not allowing fans next week at the Memorial. So um, one of the things that, I think some people are wondering is when are the fans going to be allowed at the PGA Tour? And the answer is, I don't know. That's up to Jay Monahan, the commissioner. And um, <clears throat> wherever the tournaments are held at the states, it's up to the state governors, too, um, of those tournaments. But, uh, for example, the PGA Championship um, in August in TPC Harding Park in uh, San Francisco is not going to have fans uh, on site for the four days. Um, and that was declared by um, the PGA of America and also because of the, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, um, has been pretty uh, stingent about rules in his state. So um, those are how those things go. Um, but hopefully it's one, it's nice to see the PGA Tour back. Number two, it's nice to see individuals um, that they haven't had a whole lot of positive tests, even though they have had some positive tests. Um, and it's good to see the PGA Tour taking this very seriously. Um, the players, the caddies, other personnel that are working with them taking this very seriously. I know this is a tough and weird time. And it's going to be a weird time for sports, you know, with Major League Baseball coming back um, at the end of July, uh, NHL coming back at the beginning of August, Major League Soccer has now just come back, um, the NBA coming back at the end of July as well. So it's just a weird time for people in the United States and it's a weird time for uh, major sports organizations as well in the United States and the PGA tour is not immune uh, to this, but I'm glad Jay Monahan has a policy um, and has taken this very seriously. Yeah. I think he's done a, he's done a really good job uh, with everything so far. And I think he's made some pretty, pretty good decisions despite, you know, not having fans there. I think it's just nice to still be able to watch something live on TV. Um, even with, especially with all the other sports that are not playing yet. Um, it's really nice to watch some golf. Um, it makes it even more exciting. I feel like I don't have anything else to watch or look at. You had mentioned the Memorials next week. Tiger Woods said he's returning. Kind of, what do you think we can expect from, from Tiger? Well, I'll tell you this. I watched, you know, obviously I watched the two matches before golf came back. Um, you know, the one down at Seminole with Ricky, Matt Wolf, Dustin Johnson, or Rory. You know, obviously, they, they looked a little rusty and they played okay. I thought the match with Peyton Manning, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, and Tom Brady was better. Nothing against those guys, but I thought it was better. One, because of the, the jokey nature. I thought Justin Thomas was a great on-course supporter. And number three, we're talking about the main topic. Tiger looked phenomenal in that. He hit every fairway. Um, obviously, you know, he knows the medalist. He lives there. Guys like Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, Brooks Kepka belong to that club. Um, it's, it's kind of the who's who, um, one of the stops of the PGA tour players along with, um, there's a lot of players down, 
uh, just south of me in Scottsdale, a lot of players in California, but in Florida, the medalist is kind of, and, and the Floridian are kind of two courses that really um, have the who's who of the PGA Tour. But Tiger looked great in the match. Now, the question is, Tiger hasn't played since the Genesis Open um, at the end of February. You know, he took a lot of time off in March, didn't play the Arnold Palmer, which he usually plays. Um, didn't play the Bowser Bar, obviously, that was canceled uh, due to COVID. Um, and it's one he's played before. Uh, didn't play the players. Um, so he looked good in the match. I think if he brings that Tiger, there's a chance he could win the Memorial. But he hasn't played in a PGA Tour event since the end of February. So I'm very interested to watch him play. Obviously, it's not like he's been taking time off. I mean, he's got his own simulator. It's his at his house, Golf Digest has done uh, many videos with him about that lately. Um, it's not like he hasn't stayed sharp. I mean, he showed how good he can play at the medalist, and we obviously know the guys won 15 majors. Uh, but the real question is, once he gets on, inside the ropes next Thursday um, in that PGA Tour event, obviously, of course, he's very familiar with the Memorial where he's won uh, numerous times. Um, does Tiger have that ability or is he going to be rusty? Um, and, and that's what everybody's going to talk about throughout the week. Um, yeah, they'll be talking about, you know, this week's workday charity open, which is set up a little bit easier. They're going to talk about the seven girl who won the workday uh, charity open, which is currently being led by Colin Morikawa, who I really like too. Um, but the, the talk of the week is going to be about how sharp is Tiger going to be? Is he going to look good? Is he going to be ready for, you know, the PGA Championship in August, obviously. It's his first tournament back since the end of February where he had hosting duties at the Genesis Open because that benefits the Tiger Woods Foundation, uh, TGR. Um, but that's going to be the big question the entire week is how sharp is Tiger going to look? Because if he comes out, shoots a 66, people are going to be like, "Woo, Tiger's back, you know, and, I, and I'm going to be excited about it because anytime Tiger plays, he's the one guy that got me into golf and it's exciting. But if he shoots, you know, 72, 73, the question is, uh, was that rust? Did, you know, is, is Tiger's back bothering him? Because that's why he didn't play, you know, a lot of those tournaments in March before COVID hit, um, you know, or is it, you know, he hasn't been inside the PGA Tour ropes. I thought he looked great in the match. What happened? You know, did he lose his swing? I mean, there's a whole bunch of different questions that are going to arise next week uh, with Tiger at the Memorial. I think there's always a ton of speculation around him and what is actually happening and we'll never know. But I think, you know, I'm excited to see him play. I think, you know, I'm always rooting for Tiger to do well. Like you said, he's, I mean, we grew up watching him. I mean, he just transformed the game of golf as far as I'm concerned and brought oh, yeah. so many people brought so many people into it. Um, I think the big question is going to be, can he, if he, if he doesn't play well, even if he just plays average, can he recover enough later in the week to either one, make the cut or even, you know, be up there with the rest of the the pack basically is usually the question because sometimes he just falls behind and he can't, he just can't recover. Some of the other guys are just too far ahead, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's 44 approaching 45 now. Phil Mickelson's 50 and he doesn't look like he's lost a step, but Phil Mickelson hasn't had the major surgeries that Tiger has. I mean, Phil's got, I think like rheumatoid arthritis is what they've said. So he's got some form of arthritis. 
But, I mean, he hasn't had three back surgeries, a bunch of knee surgeries, an Achilles issue, you know, like like Tiger has. I mean, Tiger pushed the envelope. I mean, obviously winning the 97 Masters was huge, and he won it big. And then, you know, to win 15 majors is, is huge. But, yeah, that's going to be the big question um, with Tiger is, you know, if he plays well Thursday, Friday, or he has to scramble to make the cut, can he turn it on on Saturday, Sunday, whether he's in the hunt or whether he just made the cut and he's just trying to move up the leaderboard. I mean, that's just going to be kind of the uh, <clears throat> the big question for him um, because he hasn't played four consecutive days of golf um, since the Genesis Open. So, and that was at the end of February. So, he hasn't played a, a, a four rounds of competitive golf in five months. So, um, right. that's going to be the real question. Like you said, is, is if he – can he put it together Thursday, Friday, and then, then can he turn on the weekend to make a run? Or um, can he turn it on after he only makes the cut on Friday? And, I mean, obviously, one, that course suits him very well. I mean, he's played numerous times in the Memorial. They played the President's Cup there one year um, because they – God – uh, they were showing PGA Tour highlights on their YouTube channel. The I think it was 2013. It was the one where Jordan Spieth was 20 years old. And he hit a laser five wood. I think it was on 11 or 15, the par five to about 15 feet for eagle. And I was like, that's vintage Tiger. So that course suits him. Number two, Jack Nicholas is going to be in the building. I mean, there's a Jack Nicholas in front of Murfield Village. If that doesn't get Tiger going, you know, because obviously he's chasing Jack's record. He's a close friend of Jack and Barbara Nicholas. Um, they've done a lot for the game, and uh, that's going to be a big motivating factor for him. Um, and number three, you know, showing the young pups, the Justin Thomases, the Jordan Spees, the Dustin Johnsons, the Kepkas, the Brysons, all those guys who have hung out with him on President's Cups and Ryder Cups that, hey, I'm still here to play, and I, st- and I still want to win. Oh, and the other thing is, is he's one win away from passing Sam Snead. Uh, all time with uh, 83 PGA Tour wins. He's on 82 right now. So there's a lot of factors that can get Tiger going. Um, but, you know, until he plays that first round on Thursday, we don't know. You know, he could come out and be as good as he want, was in the Capital One, the match. Um, or he could, you know, look like he did at the Genesis Open, which was a little bit off and kind of flat. Yeah, I think, you know, what makes Tiger so special is that he has – something that he can just turn on like flip of a switch it seems like just like some of those greats could like first people that come to mind are michael jordan and like kobe bryant i mean they just have something deep with inside them that is just like they just flip a switch and it's just like yeah let's bring it on this game time well yeah i mean you look at tiger he's got so many clutch moments 97 masters kind of the coming out party um 2000 where he won nine times uh 2001 2002 where he completed the tiger slam um 2008 us open where he went you know 40 some holes and a torn acl and a shin splint so um yeah he's got in you know last year's masters i mean he's got so many clutch moments it's it's um it, it, you know we just say it's vintage tiger i mean it's like Vernon lundquist calling you know the shots on 16 at the masters or you know like Terry Gannon or, you know, Jim Nance or Nick Faldo, you know, or Dan Hicks or Johnny Miller or Paul Azinger, you know, they, they've all made a tiger call over the past years. And it, it, it just gives us chills. And, 
you know, not that we don't want the young crop to, to do well because they've been very good lately. Um, we just want to see Tiger play well and, and do well at a tournament, a memorial, obviously, that suits him. Yeah, I would love for him to see him just win one more just to take that record solely on his own. I think that would be amazing. That way, I know there's always talks about who's the greatest golfer and all this other stuff, just like who's the greatest basketball player. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it's hard to compare. It's, you know, it's like almost apples to oranges, this different time period. Um, I think the one thing for me that sets Tiger above, I'm obviously biased. I grew up with Tiger. I never really got to see Nicholas play or Arnold Palmer play, Ben Hogan, all these guys. But I mean, if you think about it in terms of what Tiger, what I already mentioned, like what he did to transform the game and just like took it to a whole nother level in terms of, popularity and like really grew the game i think that's something that's huge that a lot of people just kind of leave out because it has nothing to do with what he accomplished on the golf course but i think the fact that he pretty much transformed golf and got so many people into it that may have never even contemplated playing golf or watching golf is enormous for the game well yeah absolutely um he's i could say this right now is the best golfer in the modern era you know, in our era, he's the best golfer ever. Um, is he the best golfer of all time? I, I mean, that's debatable. I mean, Jack Nicklaus won his 18th major at 46. You know, and it, like you said, I, I wasn't able to see Jack. I wasn't able to see Arnie. I wasn't able to see Tom Watson, um, Gary Player. I mean, you just watch highlights of him and you, you kind of soak it in. But, like, in, it's a little bit different in person. I mean, I remember watching the 97 Masters. I remember watching all these U.S. Opens and PGA Championships and everything. I remember when Tiger, at the 2000 U.S. Open, beat you know Miguel Angel Jimenez and Ernie Els by 15 shots, and everyone was like, "What? What golf course is Tiger playing?" I mean, he was on a different level. So, as far as the best player in the modern era, absolutely, you see the best player of all time. You know, that's that's up for debate. I mean, Jack still has the majors record with 18, uh, but Jack didn't win 82 PGA Tour events either. But Jack won a lot of majors, and, you know, for a lot of people's eyes, that's what counts. And he's a World Golf Hall of Fame member, and absolutely so. And Tiger will be a World Golf Hall of Fame member, um, and and definitely is. Um, But is he the best golfer of all time? I mean, like you said, that could be up for debate. But the other thing that Tiger was, was, uh, you know, he transformed golf, obviously, because he was athletic. We've talked about that in the previous podcast. But he was African-American. I mean... He made golf cool not only for our generation, but he made it cool for, you know, African-American males and and females and just anybody because Charlie Sifford was the first African-American to play on the PGA Tour and Tiger wanted to emulate him. And then he comes on the scene, this athletic, you know, African-American guy, you know, having the the swagger of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and, and having their killer instinct as well. And doing it on the golf course. I mean, that was the that was the thing that was cool. It was like, oh, he, he's an he's an athlete. Like he's got the swagger. He's got the killer instinct. Like, you know, I, I've talked to people before. Like any 10 five foot putt in a pressure pack situation, whether it was like the PGA Championship, U.S. Open, or or a high level tournament like the Memorial, you just had a gut feeling that Tiger would make it, and he usually did. And that was just. You know, he just, he made it fun. He sure did. 
He sure did. Well, I wanted to, so you've been doing a lot of practice. How's, how's the game coming along? It, honestly, I, the game is, is coming along good. Um, I played uh, up in Oak Creek in, in Sedona last Friday because we had uh, time off and obviously I wanted to. Um, so make the short 40 minute drive up there. Um, and I, and I, well, um, because there's a tournament up there, the Northern amateur at the end of, in the middle of October that I'm thinking about playing, um, just cause it's a, it's a great golf course. It's a good challenge. Uh, and, and for me to compete against high level amateurs, I'm kind of getting the itch to play competitive golf again, but, um, yeah, I've, I've mainly been working on like distance control with, uh, irons, especially wedges, um, working on obviously a lot of pitch shots from 50 yards and in obviously chipping and then a ton of putting, especially short putting. Uh, cause I feel like my line putting is pretty good. I just feel like sometimes with short putts and everybody has this problem. I mean, short putts are you know, sometimes a little bit harder because live putts you're like, Oh, I'm not expecting to make this with short putts. You pretty much expect to make both most of them. So I've uh, been doing that. Obviously I've got new wedges, new putter, um, just had to save some money over the time. So now I'm looking to buy new irons and, uh, new woods. So yeah, it's, you know, and obviously keeping up with like golf.com and the equipment stuff, just to kind of keep up to date with that, uh, golf digest, David Dusick, um, is a great follow on Instagram with the new golf equipment for golf digest, uh, Jonathan wall, um, on golf.com. Who's their equipment editor and, uh, Andy true. I think it's true or true um, is another one that writes frequently for them. Um, Luke Kerdinen uh, does a lot for the equipment stuff too on golf.com. Um, golf Ricks, obvious WRX, um, has an Instagram and a post that sees that looks at a lot of what's in PGA Tour players' bags. So it's always fun to see that. Um, and writes a lot of golf equipment reviews. And then the equipment junkie on Instagram has been a good one too. So lots of places just kind of looking at stuff like that. It's been really interesting to see, you know, some of the stuff coming out in the market and uh, things they may want to try. Um, but overall, I feel like the golf game is coming around. I feel pretty good. Um, I've been playing some challenging courses around here just to kind of test my game, and it's been going pretty good for the most part. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's awesome, fun. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> how's, the, awesome. how's the, how's the uh, courses in Maine and everything? Um, well, I've played two so far. So I played at uh, a course called Nonsuch River. Um, I thought it was really well maintained. The front nine was um, a little bit more open, not not super open, but much more open than the back nine. And then the front nine has some slight turns here or there, um, a lot more water to deal with. But the um, back nine has a lot more it's a lot tighter and pretty much i feel like looking back like almost every hole is like a dog leg and it's like not just like a subtle dog leg it's like 90 degree dog leg um so you got to choose wisely as with what you're doing and then i played at willowdale yesterday front nine is pretty much wide open and it's every hole is pretty much almost every hole there is pretty much straight so it kind of got a little monotonous at times, but the back nine was a lot tighter, um, a lot more trees to deal with. The last hole is just a dog leg uh, left, basically, just like straight 90 degrees. Um, but it was pretty good, good time. Weather's been amazing to deal with. Um, 
it's not super hot. Was a little humid a couple days ago, but not compared to North Carolina humidity, that's for sure. Um, totally doable. But yeah, it was good. I'm excited to go ahead and play some more. I have uh, I was gifted the main golf pass, which is you pay a certain amount of money and you get access to four courses. You just have to pay a cart fee, basically. So we still mm-hmm. have three three more courses to go to uh, on that. So yeah, got to get it in before uh, old man winter rolls around. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be a little different up there. <laughs> It sure is. There's a, there's a good amount of places that have simulators though, indoor simulators. So, um, that should be good. Oh, oh yeah. And I think that's great, you know, to talk to, uh, our people that are in, you know, like the, the Midwest or some people like Montana or obviously where you are in the Northeast or the great lakes, like Ohio, Indiana, uh, Illinois. Um, cause I had to do that when I was living in Iowa. Um, you get to play from like April to end of October, mm-hmm. maybe November if you're lucky. And then you're just kind of working on your game inside and, and golf simulators and, and things like that. So there's obviously there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and a lot of professionals up in those areas do lessons on simulators too, um, or just sometimes allow you to just do an hour and pay them so much. So um, for those uh, cold weather climate individuals, I would highly encourage that um, during the winter. And I think that would kind of be something as you approach it, it would kind of be interesting to do if you wanted to talk to some of those uh, golf instructors or people in the Northeast Great Lakes or like Midwest or something. I think that'd be a cool idea for the podcast down the line. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. I'll have to do that. Um, but Andrew, thank you for coming on. Hopefully we can make this a... I don't know. We'll just have to see how things go, but maybe a monthly, monthly occurrence. We'll just kind of talk shop of current events and whatever else is going on. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, that the PGA tour and some things, the LPGA tour is coming back at the end of July. Uh, this week, the European tour has come back at the Austrian open. And the funny thing right now, the leader after 36 holes is 56 year old, Miguel Angel Jimenez, the most interesting Spaniard on the Champions Tour. So um, I'm, I'm sure there will be nothing uh, as far as shortage of, of golf content between, you know, just the equipment, uh, fitness, instruction. I mean, it's just like any of the major golf websites, golfchannel.com, golfdigest.com, golf.com. You know, there, there won't be a shortage of content. So I think we can find something to talk about. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Thank you for joining. Appreciate it. Um, and then we'll catch everyone on the next roundup. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another week of the Healthy Golf Podcast. As you had just listened to, Andrew and I are contemplating making this a regular occurrence uh, on a monthly basis. Um, we may start to. Uh, reach out to the listeners for questions or have you guys submit questions that we can answer on the podcast. And basically the point is just kind of get a little bit more personal, talk a little bit more about what's going on in the world of golf, just besides giving you guys the best information from the experts that are available to us. Um, If you guys have any thoughts or comments or recommendations on this format, please reach out to me at joe at puredrivephysio.com. That's P-U-R-E-D-R-I-V-E. 
P-H-Y-S-I-O.com. Or you can leave a review or comment on iTunes, and I can take a look at that there as well. Um, But otherwise, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time to download and listen to these episodes. If at any point you have any comments or questions, again, please reach out to me on any ways that we can make this better because I want this to be really helpful for you, the listener. Um, But until then, I think we'll wrap this episode up. And just remember, when you feel great, you golf great.